Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. We're going to go together to Psalm 128 this morning. And this is a song of blessing. Let's ask the Lord for his help even now. Father, as we pause and we bow before you, as we have gathered together this morning, whether here physically in this building or or present online with our families and we're worshiping you, Lord, we have sung your praises and we understand who you are. We proclaim that you are the way maker. You are the God of miracles. And even now, Lord, as there are situations within this congregation that our loved ones are dealing with, that our loved ones are walking through valleys, Father, that you would provide by your spirit the turning back of events, the changing of hearts and minds, that you would work your sovereign and good and perfect will in the lives of those who right now, this morning, are suffering, are hurting, are grieving. And may we look to you and find you to be the sole provider, the one who blesses us. You are the giver and the sustainer of life. And so we draw near to you. And your word promises that you will draw near to us and that you are very near to the brokenhearted. So be glorified in your word by your church today, Lord. In the strength and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Psalm 128. A couple of questions for us to consider this morning as we begin to look at this passage. Would you characterize your life right now by happiness, fruitfulness, and prosperity? Would you be able to say this morning, yeah, I'm happy. My life is fruitful. I'm seeing prosperity in my life. How would you even begin to take inventory? How do you do a self-check on this? How do you quantify? What does it look like to, to live and to be happy, to be fruitful, to have the prosperity of God? Does, does God even want his children to be happy? Does he want you to be happy, to be fruitful, and to be prosperous? Now, Psalm 128 builds on Psalm 127. They're connected. The words that connect them, blessed, happy. Those connect, they connect the Psalms. And this Psalm today that we get into, there, is, there are no problems in this Psalm. There's no enemies. There's no threats. There are no storm clouds in this Psalm. Next Sunday, fasten your seatbelts. There's no sunshine in the Psalm. There's only threats and enemies and trouble. And so I'm thankful that we're preaching through these in a collection because the worst thing you could ever, the most difficult thing you could do would be to give a preacher an assignment. Preach Psalm 129. 
and him not be able to have the whole panoramic view of Scripture to place a difficult psalm in a context, in a setting, to where its beauty stands out because of the panoramic view that you have taken in. Psalm 128 is actually an exposition of Psalm 127. What does it look like for the Lord to build the house? Psalm 128. What does it look like to be fruitful? Psalm 128. What does it look like to have the prosperity of God in our life? Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is important because it stands out that our lives, you read through the wisdom literature, righteous man, everything goes well, long life, but then you need to read the book of Job. And it's a balance. This is where we live. This is what life is like. So keep in mind this morning that as the Israelites would make their way, as worshipers would be making their way to the city of Jerusalem to worship the Lord, and people would gather in these feasts three times a year, they would gather, the men were commanded, get there. At times, their families would go with them. And so the children would be expecting to go to Jerusalem, and they would be seeing friends that they haven't seen since the last time they were in Jerusalem. Jesus' family did this. And remember, they lost him. He's in the temple, and they go home, and they just think, he's in the company and they're so filled with joy and they're making this journey home they forgot Jesus and Mary and Joseph had to turn back and they found him in the temple so picture these caravans these journeys going to be in the presence of God with the people of God worshiping and this psalm was a blessing over them this psalm was also a blessing spoken over a groom at a wedding so we got some new grooms here Good job on dropping your wife off, getting her out of the rain. Good job, all right? I told, I told marriage counseling was awesome. It worked really well, okay? So this is, so when you hear the language here, there's not excluding going on. It's a channel of blessing that God would use us and channel his blessing, which is more than enough for all peoples in all nations, in all places. He's not about out. He's not about to run dry. He has more than enough blessings. Let's listen to the psalm. You follow along, Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is a song of blessing. Now in a snapshot, it's going to come up on the screen. This is where we've been in our studies. Psalm 120, a song of deliverance. The Lord is my deliverer. Psalm 121, a song of protection. The Lord is my helper. Psalm 122, a song of peace. The Lord is my peace. 23, a song of mercy. The Lord is my good master. Psalm 124, it's a song of rescue. The Lord is my salvation. You shall call his name Jesus, the angel said, for he will save his people from their sins. Psalm 125 is a song of safety. The Lord is my protector. And if he's protecting you, you're good. 
You're going to be all right. Psalm 126, a song of joy. The Lord is my restorer. Store, he turns back. Things were headed this way, and he turned them back. You remember that psalm. Psalm 127, last Sunday, a song of significance. The Lord is my provider. How do we have a purpose in our lives right now and a significance that will last when we are no longer walking this planet? Psalm 128 is a song of blessing. Now, with all of those psalms, it is available, okay? If you've never turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the message from this psalm and from these psalms is you're invited. You're welcome to the table. There's plenty of room. Gather around. Come around. It's all been taken care of. It's all been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So come into the family Come join in in worshiping Jesus. There's room for you. If you have come into a saving relationship with the Lord through Christ, then you can say, the Lord is my deliverer, helper, peace. He is mine. If you haven't, I can say he's available to you. Trust him. This is how the psalmist desires God's people. Same desire that Moses desired for Israel before he died. Oh, that they would fear the Lord. It's my desire for every member of my family, my daughters. It's my desire for every member of this congregation. It's my desire for everyone in this community, in the world. But here's the reality, and this is the, the ever-daunting reality. I can't make this happen in any member of my family. I cannot make them desire the blessing of the Lord. I pray they desire the blessing of the Lord. I pray they live in the blessing of the Lord, but I can't make it happen. I cannot make it happen for church members. I can want God's best for them, but I can't make it happen. I can pray that and I do. God's best and God's blessing, and God knows what is best for you and for your families. But I can't make it happen, and nor can you. So we have a human responsibility and we have God's sovereignty in how these things work out and go together. I can't explain it to you. It's just a reality. God is sovereign, and he's given to us a responsibility in our homes, in our families, in our community, in our church, in our world, to be channels of his blessing. This is what we'll unpack today. The person who delights in God is their greatest reward. What are you delighting in today? When you delight in God as your greatest reward, then there are three promises that we're going to see. From Psalm 128, the psalm is broken up into three sections, a pronouncement, practical outworking, and then a prayer. That's how the psalm breaks down. What do we have promised from the Lord? Number one, true happiness. True happiness. That's why I asked you this morning, are you happy? Are you filled with joy? Here's a pronouncement from the psalmist, and it's a pronouncement of individual blessing. It's directly connected to our willingness to trust and obey. You remember that song? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And the super spiritual, too super spiritual person, well, I'm not happy, but I have joy. 
Yeah, shut up. Come on. God is concerned about your happiness. Being filled with joy, it should make it into real happiness in life in every situation. So there's a pronouncement of blessing, and it's available to everyone. It's individual, though. Okay, so you hear the invitation go out, this pronouncement of blessing, but it's available not to just Israel. It doesn't say, blessed is the Israelite who fears the Lord. It's blessed is everyone. This is available. You can take this message, hop on the plane, get off in India, get off in Africa, and you can begin telling people that God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. And here's how this happens. Now understand, that's the way, that's the way Psalm 1 opens up. Blessed is the man. There are two ways of living, the wise and the foolish. One way of living leads to life. One way leads to death. There's two types of people. And what we need to understand is God cares about all people from all nations. He cares about males. He cares about females. He cares about people of all ages, the old, the young. He cares about people from all socioeconomic levels, the rich, the poor, whatever side of the tracks you live on. He cares. He loves. This is available and you can't buy it. It's priceless. It's beyond your pay grade to access this. That's why Jesus suffered and died to paid in full. Psalm 22 ends. He has done this. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. So understand, this is not a formula. I'm not giving to you a formula that you take down the notes and you write down, if I do X, then Y, then the Lord is, he is held, he has to do this for me. He owes me now. That's not what this is. This is wisdom literature. And here we see two qualifications to receive God's blessing right here in the first verse. God is the one who's established the terms for us to receive his blessing, which is true happiness in every season of life. And first of all, we must fear the Lord. That's the first qualification, fear the Lord. So we can ask ourselves that question. Do I fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? The Hebrew word is yare. And, it, and it's a reverence. It's an awe. There, there's fearing. Fearing the Lord is that fear that drives out all other fears. Okay, fear in and of itself is not a bad thing. We teach our children about a road when there's no cars driving on the road. They need to have a sense of awe and awareness and respect because at the moment they least expect it, bad things can happen on a road. So we have to teach them about fire and about electricity and about all these things and their minds are not conceiving this, but we need for them to have a right reverence and respect and honor for those aspects of life. It's fitting for you, for me to ask the question, do I rightly fear the Lord? Spurgeon said it this way. He said, the fear of God is the cornerstone of all blessedness. The fear of God is the cornerstone of all blessedness, of all happiness that truly lasts. I want to give a panoramic view from Scripture of the fear of the Lord, starting with Moses, 
Moses instructs the people of God. He loved them. He's imparting truth to them. He's about to step off the scene. Joshua's going to take over. He has something to say before he dies. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. This is a matter of the heart, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. Moses still speaking, and now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Old Testament, New Testament, it's always been a matter of the heart. God has never been satisfied or pleased with going through perfunctory worship, going through the motions. It's always been about the heart. When Israel would be given a king, Moses foretells this, the king had a responsibility and the king was to write down his own copy of the law. His own hand, supervised by the priest to make sure he got it right. Deuteronomy 17, 19, and it shall be with him, the law shall be with him, his copy, and he shall read it in all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That's why it's important every day to have time. Get in the word, get in the word that you may learn to fear the Lord and do what you learn from scripture. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, the enemies, those nations. Remember last week we said arrows that are well-bred, they strike at their enemy, the enemies of their parents. Arrows that are evil bred strike their parents. So when you think about the enemies, when you talk about them, the Lord is saying, be strong and courageous through Moses. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That promise is reiterated in the New Testament in Hebrews. This law was to be read every seven years at one of the feasts, like we're talking about. All of these feasts, all of these songs for the road. Listen to what Moses would say when he didn't know exactly where that was going to be. They haven't even gotten into the land yet. Joshua was going to take over. Jo Moses wouldn't even go into the land. And listen to what he says. This is prophecy that would be fulfilled. Deuteronomy 31, verse 9, Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel, verse 10, and Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of, the, of release, at the Feast of Booths, a specific time, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in, the hear, in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. 
That was what they were to do. So remember, when they went into 70-year exile, it was because they didn't give the rest to the land, the Sabbath. They stopped doing what God called them to do. They stopped hearing the word of the Lord. Therefore, they didn't know what to do from the word of the Lord. So they lived fearing other gods. Listen now to what Samuel says in his farewell address, 1 Samuel 12, 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if you, both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. What does Samuel want for the Israelites? I want it to be well with you. I'm departing, you know, my ship is gonna sail and I want it to be well with you. I want you to know the blessing of God on your life. Do you want the blessing of God on your life? 1 Samuel 12, 24, this is what he says. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. He's not going to be any help if you don't fear the Lord. And later, the northern, the northern kingdom fell into the hands of the Assyrian army. 2 Kings 17, verse 7, you fast forward, and this occurred. Here's the explanation for why the northern kingdom fell and went into exile. And this occurred, the judgment of God. They fell into the hands of another nation. Because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. Misplaced fear led to sin, led to disobedience, led to judgment. Now listen to the fear of the Lord in Proverbs and Psalms. Psalms and Proverbs. All of this is online. You can listen to it. You can get the podcast. You can watch it on YouTube. You can watch it on our webpage because there may be some scriptures in here. They say, you know what? I need to commit that one to memory. What, what does the Bible say about the fear of the Lord? Listen to Psalm 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three. You who fear the Lord. So I've asked you this morning. Do you fear the Lord? Then what's the response of the person who fears the Lord? Praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my, sal my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Do you hear the invitation there? Let all the earth join in this. Psalm 33, 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. He's like a father watching. My eye is on you those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and, what good is that? Delivers them. Psalm 34, 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you. What do you want to tell us, Dad? What do you want to tell us, Grandpa? I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's, shh, get quiet. Get quiet. 
listen to what's being taught. The fear of the Lord. Psalm 40, verse three, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Psalm 102, 15, nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will, will fear your glory. Psalm 103, 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to, his, to children's children. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures, how long? Forever. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What did I say at the outset? I cannot make you desire the blessing of God. But the Bible is not confusing in its language that if you're here and you're like, I don't care about the blessing of God. If you're listening and you're like, no, I don't fear the Lord. Then plain and simple, bottom shelf, the Bible says that's foolish. Only the fool turns from the fear of the Lord to destruction. Proverbs 1.29 the day will come when, when people will seek the Lord and they will not find him. Verse 29 says, because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Do not live your life and say, someday, someday I'll, 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 I'll you know, after I live for me, then one day I'm gonna live for the Lord. Don't do that. Play in Russian roulette. Proverbs eight thirteen: the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of the evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14.26, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15.16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord, then great treasure and trouble with it. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16, 6, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 22 and verse four, similar to our Psalm this morning, 128, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 23 and verse 17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Proverbs 29 and verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Psalm 130, verse four, but with you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Forgiveness. Think about that. Of all of the qualities of the Lord to, to lead us to fear, it's that he would forgive me. He would pardon me. So fear of the Lord is qualification one. And the second qualification is this, walk in his ways. Worship and walk. The Lord is concerned about this with each of us this morning. To fear the Lord is to walk in his ways. Trust and obedience characterizes the lives of those who are blessed, those who are happy in God. And, and don't we know this? People will do what they want to do, right? 
Whatever you love to do. If somebody loves golf, they're going to play golf. If they love fishing, they're going to get fishing sooner or later. It, with all, you know, whatever they can do, whatever they love to do, they're going to do it as long as they can do it. And if they can't, they're going to want to do it. If you want to be with your family, you're going to be with your family. You do what you love. Do you love the ways of God? Do I love the ways of God? Do I love God's ways? Fear the Lord, walk in his ways. Listen to what Calvin says. He says, although we collect together all the circumstances which seem to contribute a happy life, right? Photo albums around your house. All your posts on social media. Surely nothing will be found more desirable than to be kept hidden under the guardianship of God. The greatest of all blessings is my father is guarding me, loving me, keeping me, preserving me. So the person who delights in God as their greatest reward is promised true happiness. And secondly, lasting fruitfulness. We see this in verses 2, 3, and 4. And here we see practical evidence, okay, of a household blessing that takes place as we, first of all, trust and obey, and now taste and see. This is not a message that I just want you to hear about and say, well, that must be nice for some people out there. I want you to hear it in whatever season of life that you are in, that God intends, desires to bless you with happiness defined by your creator. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Okay, this is career. You shall be blessed. It shall be well with you. Things go well on the job. Verse three, talk about your marriage. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Here's your family. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, check this out. Don't miss this. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So the blessing is directed toward the man. All right, don't, don't get offended, ladies. There's a prayer over a groom at a wedding. The man wasn't the be-all, end-all. The man was intended. Adam should have been for Eve, a protector, a, a channel of blessing from the Lord. The man is to be a blessing to all those. And so this blessing then overflows like a watershed to the household. That if God's household is a blessing to my household, then my household is should in response be a blessing to God's household and so should yours. If God has blessed you, then you are invited into being a blessing to God's household, to his church, to his kingdom. Is that your desire? I've been blessed, thank you, Lord. Now here, let me give back and let me be a blessing to your house, Lord. blessed career, a blessed marriage, a blessed family. Picture a, a dinner table that's just filled with life, with noise, chaos at times, spilled drinks at times, you know, dogs getting on tables at times, and it's just all chaos. Am I describing some, some of your tables, right? But there's joy, and there's a father looking at these are the ones that I love. These are the ones the Lord has given. This is my quiver, and the Lord has filled my quiver, and I'm going to pass on, but these will carry on not just a name, but a posterity. Arrows like lights penetrating the darkness. 
This is the description of Psalm 127. Now, we've read stories or had stories read to us. The fairy tale. How does the fairy tale always end? And they lived happily. Does that, that describes your life, right? Happily ever after. Husbands and wives, we got married. And happily ever after, we had no troubles. Yeah. That's not, really, that's not really real life. That's why it's called a fairy tale. Why do we believe the Bible? Because the, the Bible tells all, not every detail, but it tells the failures of some of the heroes of the Bible. Shows where they missed it. Shows that they didn't live happily ever after. David, anointed king, and he's the man, and then there's that time. He should have been in battle, and he's looking out over the balcony. Failed. Adultery. Murder. Lies. Cover-up. Scandal. There's a new thing, right? Never happened before. This just in. Scandal in politics. We have the same nature. Help doesn't come from the king's palace. It doesn't come from a, a government, ultimately. It comes from the Lord. Now, there's a picture that'll come up in Palestine. Here's an olive grove. All right, a bunch of olive trees somewhere in Palestine. Here's this, I mean, this is important to have, essential to the, a Middle Eastern diet. Candles and all of these things, lights. The next picture is zoomed in, it's closer. It's a, around the base of an olive tree, or the, what the psalmist is talking about, shoots. You had one tree, and now you have shoots coming up. From those, you can take and you can transplant, you can have other trees. And when he's picturing this table, he's saying, would you rather have oil in your cupboard, or would you rather have future olive trees around your table? One is good for a little while, but the other from the Lord, in the Lord's timing, inside of the bounds of marriage, will provide and return and send forth this blessing to future generations. That comes back to the word posterity. So if we look at this and we say, well, okay, so the blessing, this lasting fruitfulness toward the man for the entire household, everybody that this guy works with, his neighbors are like, I'm so glad that guy's a neighbor because he's blessed of the Lord, like Job. I'm glad I know him. What a guy. Then letter C here is humanity, we have a problem. There's a huge disparity between what we read in Psalm 28 and what we read in the daily news. What we see come across headlines. What we know about some of our loved ones and our families and where they ended up and what started out and what should have been and where they took a left turn and whatever, and we don't know what all happened. And there's brokenness everywhere. As we think about this, reminds us of where everything went wrong in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Eve was deceived and Adam willingly disobeyed and so death spread to all men for all have sinned. And God's remedy for our sin problem is the cross that he would send Jesus in our place, the sinless son of God, and he would lay down his life dying, taking the death that I deserved, that you deserve defeating the enemy we have no chance against. And he rose from the dead. 
He's willing to give life to everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him, life that never ends. This is the gospel. This is God's, this is God's remedy for our problem. And in this, we see there's a chance for a fresh start. How things were going and how you were living, and then the Lord came, and the Lord intervened, and there's an opportunity for a fresh start. There's an opportunity, even if you have strained relationships, to engage with those relationships and say, will you forgive me? And trust the Lord for an outcome that is a turn of events from him. And what does Paul write? 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That's why it is through him, through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for the glory of Jesus. That whatever season of life, and you're like, well, pastor, I appreciate this message on me having and my wife having a fruitful family and so forth, but do you know how old we are? This isn't going to happen. But that's what we said last week. There's physical descendants through birth and adoption. Your family expands that way. But there's also a spiritual legacy by you investing your lives into others that are in your family, in your neighborhood, in this church, and you're a blessing to others. You are able to have a posterity that will never come to an end. You're able with your life that you may think is insignificant, God may use you in a powerful way that you cannot even imagine to ripple to generations the goodness and the blessing of God. And I want you to wake up to that. I want you to see that and not miss that before your life comes to an end. That God is blessing. He wants to bless you. He wants you to know his joy. And so that brings us true happiness, lasting fruitfulness, and lastly, peace and prosperity. And here we see a prayer for blessing. This blessing is now, we started with the individual, then we went to the household. Now it's a community. Now it's a gathering of people to believe and to pray. The Lord bless you from Zion. That's his chosen city. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So what do we need to do? We need to believe in God's power. That's what the psalmist would have us to do. That's what Samuel, that's what Moses, that's what they would Paul the apostle. I want you to believe in God's power, his ability, take him at his word, trust in all of his promises. He is in fact the way maker. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And the Bible says his ways are perfect. You're perfect in all of your ways. He's a good father. So we believe in God's power. We pray for God's blessing. Knowing true blessing and happiness, we pray for God's blessing to extend to all other people. Use your voice to pray. Use your voice to bless future generations. A posterity inside your family, outside of your family. So this is a pronouncement. It's just a practical blessing, a prayer. It was upon Old Testament Israel, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace be upon Israel. And what about us? What about peace in the church of God? Oh, that we would be able to make sense of how we need to respond when our lives don't reflect what we read in the wisdom literature. I've been reading through this book. It's taken me a little while. I've got a few books going on. I don't know about you, but I can be reading through several books, and it just takes me a while to finish a book. Nabil Qureshi was a speaker for Ravi Zacharias' team. He came, he was converted out of Islam. A, a tremendous speaker. 
I encourage you this week, The American Gospel is a series. It's on next, uh, It's a documentary. It's on Netflix right now. You can also get the DVD. I want to encourage you before next Sunday, Psalm 129, would you watch that this week? And at the end of that documentary, Nabil is sharing how at age 34, he came down with cancer. He died at age 34. And in the end of that documentary, in the context of prosperity and the gospel and God's blessing, he shares the goodness of God. That God did not stop being good 34 years of age. And his life came to an end. Romans 10, 11, Paul writes, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Nabil is not disappointed this morning in the presence of the Lord Jesus reunited with his mentor, Ravi Zacharias, and every other believer who's died in faith. That brings us to letter C, and that's rest in God's sovereignty. Believe in God's power, pray for God's blessing, and rest in God's sovereignty. Remember what we said last week about striving, anxiety, working is different than striding. Have a stride that has problems, blessings, burdens, but our eyes are fixed on the Lord Jesus and he is with us. I want you to consider the three Hebrew children. They didn't fear King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember the account? Huge statue. When the music plays, everybody bow and worship me, is what the king is saying. Those three Hebrew young men, they said, no, we fear God. I know we're in a foreign land, but we're not going to bow to your idol. They get brought in, they get brought up before the king, and he says, here's what we'll do. I'll play the music again, we'll strike it up, give you opportunity B. Let's give you a second chance at this. You don't need to. And listen Listen to what they say, Daniel 3, 17. They said this, if this be so, our God whom we serve is, here you go, able to deliver us. Our God is able. They believe in the power of God. He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And here's their confidence, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, but if not, Our God is able. Our God will deliver us. But if not. These two verses have summed up so many instances which are often in the context of relationships where I have prayed, I've believed, and it didn't work out. In healing, in that loved one, in that church member, living, being healed, being with us today, but they are with the Lord and we will be reunited. They are not lost and gone. They are in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. No, not going to bow to your idol. Listen to what Habakkuk and his commitment to worship at the end of Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. He describes what we're talking about when it all is opposite of Psalm 128. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. 
The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. You know what this is? This is pandemic, plague, desolation, no food, all gone. This is famine. What is Habakkuk's commitment? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So as we think about this, we rest in God's sovereignty that he's good. He knows exactly what we need. And then we have to come back and remember Jesus. We're going to observe communion together in a few moments after we sing that he willingly bore our sin on the cross in our place. And Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But here's your purpose for living, for him who for their sake died and was raised. He lives, he's alive, he didn't stay dead. And verse 21 says, for our sake, for my sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. He has paid it all. So listen, sometimes there's an inheritance and a family sits around and they're like, well, what's the inheritance? But there's only so much. And if you start having thousands of people show up outside and they want to get into the room and say, can I have part of your inheritance? Can I get in on this? Like, hey, there's not enough. We got like two cars, one house, and, and some, some money that we're going to be dividing up, and now there's 100,000 people outside? Go away. You're not part of the family. Get out of here. When it comes to the inheritance that God offers, it's an infinite supply of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We don't ever have to say, Lord, you got enough? I mean, you know this person, right? There's room at the table. There's enough. You're invited. And this psalm is so positioned so that people are reminded, this is what I've been given in the Lord. And then someone says, um, did he just give that to you? No. Uh, can I worship this God? Yes. What about my family? Yes. What about my tribe? Yes. My nation? Yes. There's plenty of room. This gospel is good, and it's good enough for all people everywhere. So let's summarize this this morning. The person who delights in God is their greatest reward. What are they promised? From Psalm 128, true happiness. This is true purpose. Trust and obey. Lasting fruitfulness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just listen. Don't just hear about it. I want you to say, I want to prove this in my own life. And peace and prosperity, that we believe in the promises of God, we believe in God, and we pray, Lord, may your will be done. Questions to think about and pray through and talk about with your family or with your loved ones or someone this week. What, what makes fearing the Lord a really good thing? What makes fearing the Lord a really good thing? And why is my obedience directly connected to my fear of the Lord? How do those two Aspects go together personally, and how should my prayer life strengthen in light of this psalm of blessing? How should my life of prayer strengthen in light of this psalm of blessing? Will you stand with me? We're going to pray, then we're going to respond in song that if we have the Lord, we have everything we need. Then we're going to have our time of offering. Our live stream will end and then we'll observe communion together this morning. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, you are the wellspring of all happiness. Lord, would you grant to us that we may always fear you, that we would always walk in your ways. Will you bless us, Lord, in our families, that it may be well with us and all who pertain to us, that we may see many generations and children of faith, and that we may see peace upon Israel and peace, Lord, in your church, and so that we may glorify you in all the days of our lives through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.